0: Captain, I'm getting something on the Distress Channel. On speakers.
1: This is the classic mover reviewed fugue podcast, Late Seating, 19 periods out of Altair 6. We're attempting a review of a beloved science fiction film. This is the
0: Starship Enterprise. Your message is breaking up. Can you give us your coordinates? Repeat,
1: this is the Starship... Enterprise. Enterprise. Our position is gamma hydrant section ten. We think it's a really good review. Here, let me start playing it for you right now.
0: Mr. Sue, get us out of here.
1: I'll try, Captain. Hello everybody and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding, and I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, it's good, isn't it, Oh,
0: it sure is. Especially for folks like you and me.
1: Especially, especially for folks like you and me. Yeah. This time around, I'm not, okay, I'm I'm cutting right to the chest. No more stupid jokes about stuff. We're getting right (laughs) to the meat and potatoes because I really need this good movie right now.
0: (laughs) Things haven't been going great.
1: No! I'm locked up in my my house, my doors and windows are duct-taped closed because of the smoke, and I watched this movie and it made me forget all my troubles, and made me cry over fictional characters.
0: Ah, instead of real life.
1: (laughs) The movie we're watching this time around is Star Trek II, The Wrath. Of God, <laughs> yep. saying that name every, like that every time. I hope you do. Oh wow! I just looked at the peaks and valleys of my recording. <laughs> I can't. I'll destroy my equipment if I keep doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah the the waveform can't take it, Captain.
1: No, I, I need to. I need to calm down. Yeah. The movie we're going to review today is Star Trek II: The Wrath <laughs> of Khan.
0: Today on Masterpiece Theatre, a charming <laughs> little science fiction adventure from 1982.
1: <sighs> That's right, Wrathcon. arguably the best Star Trek movie, right?
0: Uh, I don't. E- I wouldn't even say arguably, but yes. Yeah, we're not going to argue that <laughs> point. Some people might try to argue, but not me, buddy.
1: Nope, me and you are pretty much in agreement. The best yeah. Star Trek, the best ever, even though it's not like, I mean, uh, okay. Star Trek 1 was closest to the series, to the TV series,
0: right? I, I would say in, in most ways it was, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, but this one satisfied another need, and that was, we love the characters, so can we have character stuff? And they're like, yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. Right? Yeah. That's what drove it. Not money, right?
0: No, of course not. They would have never considered money when making a Star Trek movie. This was a labor of love.
1: That's right. No one got paid.
0: No, they all worked for free. They said, we just want to tell this beautiful story. <laughs>
1: We don't know what it is yet, but we want to tell it.
0: Takei, come on. Please, Takei, will you please do one more?
1: Please. (laughs) All right, Steve, do you have any trivia for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan?
0: Well, I have a little bit of trivia, yes, but before I get into the trivia, I actually have a slight correction I want to make from (gasps) from our last episode. What? Um, Yeah, so... It's been on my mind all this time, and I can't believe that we let this go. In our Heather's review, we were joking about how there's a scene where J.D. says that chaos killed the dinosaurs. Right. And and you said correctly, that's not actually what killed the dinosaurs. And I said, I think that asteroid had something to do with it. And in doing so, I neglected to mention the actual cause of the extinction of the dinosaurs. As we all know, thanks to the wisdom of the great scientist, Dr. Victor Victor Freeze, we know... (laughs) What killed the dinosaurs? The ice age.
1: <laughs>
0: so you so, corrected
1: the correct thing with an incorrect thing.
0: I just felt like I needed to make that correction. So
1: the ice age didn't kill the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs
0: Steve. were killed by the ice age. Okay,
1: I would like to interject here and correct the correct correction okay. of what Steve said.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: okay. Okay. The Ice Age and the the death of the dinosaurs are separated by I don't know how many millions. Of years. <laughs> yes, quite a it's
0: quite a bit actually. Yeah,
1: Dif- <laughs> it's a different Ice Age. Okay, you're just making yourself look worse. Not the I same Ice Age.
0: No, they're not the same Ice Age. Trivia, please. Okay, trivia. Okay, so a f- two quick bits of trivia, and then I'll get to, and then I'll get to one that's actually a bit more well known that people that people talk about a lot. First, Star Trek Two is the first major film to feature a fully computer generated sequence, and that would be the simulation of the Genesis effect that we see in Carol Marcus's presentation. That's uh, right. Everything there that you see is computer generated, and that's the first time. That Fuck they, you, Tron. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> use models or anything; it was all CGI. Um, the other thing thing is, and this was kind of cool, I didn't learn this until I was doing research for this, actually, that um, to generate their on-screen computer displays on the ships, they developed a new system uh, that was different than even the one that they used in Star Trek the motion picture uh, mm-hmm. whereas in Star Trek the motion picture the, the computer displays were done by rear film projection and that yeah. was and that, that that created a lot of heat on the set because you had all these film projectors running at the same time and also it was loud and also it, it was difficult to synchronize with the, the film the main camera shooting the scene without having like a flicker on the screen yeah, so yeah. they came up with this new system that used video instead of film projection and it looks better and yeah doesn't it's a lot brighter it doesn't have the flicker it's a lot cooler and quieter on the set and it subsequently became the standard method for simulating displays on computer screens uh, for films after this movie so uh, a little bit of 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 movie making innovation for uh, for star trek 2 the main piece of trivia though is of course the fact that in this movie khan recognizes Chekhov. Even though oh, Chekhov was not actually a part of the show during Khan's episode. Walter Koenig did not join Star Trek until the season following Space Season. He was now, on the
1: ship. He just wasn't well, part of the bridge crew here's,
0: yet. Here's the thing, right? There are two explanations for this that, that I have found that have been offered by people involved in the making of the film, and I love them both. The
1: first okay.
0: the first is Walter Koenig himself, who suggested what you just said, Jason, and what is like the main sort of assumption that Chekhov was just on the ship, we just didn't see him. Um, right. and he said the reason that Khan recognizes him so well is because Khan had to wait in line for the toilet behind Chekhov. <laughs> so he never forgets a face. Okay. Uh, the other
1: explanation is... Especially one that made it stink <laughs> so bad. Especially
0: someone who forgets to turn on a fan. <laughs> um, who doesn't know how to light a match. Uh, the, the, the other explanation is by the director... There's of the... a
1: Febreze Air Effects <laughs> can in there. Use it. <laughs> Use it, Ensign Chekhov.
0: Uh, the other the other explanation is offered by the director of the film, Nicholas Meyer, who explains that Khan recognizing Chekhov is simply a mistake, but a trivial one that requires no explanation or apology. He that's...
1: did not understand the fan base,
0: <laughs> but that's why I love Nicholas Meyer. He was like, "Yeah, it was a goof, but big deal, get over it." That's yeah. oh, I love you, I love you, sir. <laughs> okay,
1: here's my trivia. Yes, right? go for it. Okay, so they were going to make Star Trek II, but they did not have a script. Yes. Right? Right. And this this script changed hands several times. After, I mean, Star Trek One made money, but it was also heavily criticized for being overly long and bloated.
0: Right. And it was incredibly expensive. So.
1: And it was yeah. expensive. And all three of those things are correct. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love Star Trek One, but there's a lot of fast-forwarding going on while I watch it. There's a lot of... <laughs> people looking out windows.
0: Get to the good Uh, part.
1: So, uh, when it came time for Gene Roddenberry, Gene Roddenberry had a plot for Star Trek II, in which the crew of the Enterprise travel back in time to set right a corrupted timeline after something the Klingons did. They used the Guardian of Forever to go back in time and change yeah. something. You know what it is that the Klingons did?
0: I, I do know this, actually. They they uh, assassinated John F. Kennedy. No, they, prevent they prevented the assassination, the assassination. of yeah. John F. They Kennedy. They prevented the assassination of John F. Kennedy, yeah. yeah.
1: Which then changes the timeline. It's another riff on the whole e- Edith Keeler right. thing.
0: Right, except Kirk would fall in love with JFK.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they'd make out, and he'd be like, I finally found true love and then (laughs) spock would have to say john f kennedy must die and it's just bad
0: mccoy would be about to stop oswald and then yeah Yeah.
1: mccoy and he's like damn it jim (laughs) and spock is the second shooter and it just gets really (laughs) and the studio went hey gene why don't you come down here and, and sit in this chair that says executive consultant
0: We'll pay you a fair salary if you'll just Uh keep your mouth shut and never visit the set.
1: It's okay. It's all right. (laughs) Yes, you're the great bird of the galaxy. Shh.
0: We're all very grateful to you, Jim, or uh, Gene. Uh Gene's your name, right?
1: So then it fell to Harv Bennett. Now, Harv Bennett was now the new executive producer for these films, and he would do it for a couple more. And he had a plot entitled The War of the Generations. (laughs) Star Trek II, The War of the Generations, in which Kirk investigates a rebellion on a distant world and discovers that his son is the leader of the Rebels. And that Khan is the master mind behind the plot. And then Kirk and his son join forces to defeat Khan. See? A little different. uh, It's a little different. (laughs) And they took elements of that, and then they kept working on it and working on it. And then Nicholas Meyer got in there, and he started working on it. And then we eventually got the movie, right? Yes. Correct. Also, Yeah, yeah. Also, there was a lot of misdirection in regards to Spock's death, because they kept having script leaks. Scripts <laughs> kept leaking, and they didn't know who was leaking the scripts. And so they did a whole fake-out with Spock dying at the beginning of this movie to kind of throw people off the scent. Right,
0: because you think, oh, that's what they were talking about. Right. right.
1: But they didn't know that we are really going to kill him at the end of the movie. Gotcha!
0: That was foreshadowing, well, also, jumps.
1: Also, originally Spock was going to die halfway through this film. Yeah, he I've was, heard that. Yeah. So it, they kind of changed some stuff up. So you ready to do who made it?
0: Yeah, I would love to know all about the people who made this who are total strangers to me.
1: Right. <laughs> it was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who also directed Star Trek 4. Hmm. No, no he he he, he, Ter- he co-wrote Star he wrote. Trek 4. He co-wrote Star, Star Trek 4 and uh he directed Star Trek 6. Yep. And he also directed The Day After, which was uh, the nuclear holocaust documentary that terrified Jason for the rest of the 80s, (laughs) as well as the rest of America. Thanks,
0: Mr. Maya.
1: He's more prolific as a writer. Yeah. Um, And I'll get to that when we get to the writing part. It was produced by Robert Salin, screenplay by Jack B. Sowards, and uncredited was Nick Meyer. Now, Nicholas Meyer also wrote uh, such stunning classics as Invasion of the Bee Girls, and The 7% Solution. What else has he written? He's written a lot. He's
0: written a lot, but yeah, it's it's not a lot that people would necessarily recognize. Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. I knew him from 7% Solution.
0: Right, which is a Sherlock Holmes pastiche that he also yeah. wrote the novel of, yeah.
1: Yeah, and didn't he write Time After Time? I think maybe he did, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think so. I love, I
1: love that movie, too. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> Story by Harv Bennett, who uh, worked uh, on this... For, he did Trek two, three,
0: and five, right? He, did he? Uh, did he not do four? Maybe I don't think he did four. I know. Okay, I but yeah, he... I know five was five was his his last one. He wasn't directly yeah. involved with Star Trek six. He, yeah,
1: yeah, Star Trek five took it out of him. He was like, no, nah, I'm done. <laughs> no more. He no actually more.
0: he was probably like, they're making another
1: one. Uh huh. Um, oh, uh, right. Also a story by Jack B. Sowards, Nicholas Meyer, and Samuel A. Peoples. Now, the last two were uncredited. And Samuel Peoples did, like, a script for the original Star Trek or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys worked a lot in TV. Like, a lot in TV. Some of them only ever did Star Trek. Right. Or at least that's all I could find. Based on Star Trek by Gene Roddenberry. I don't need to go into that. Do I? Huh? Do I need to go into it?
0: <laughs> what is this Star Trek of which you speak?
1: Starring people that I don't have to tell you what else they've done. Yay! (laughs) William Shatner is James T. Kirk. Ricardo Montalban as Khan Noonien Singh. Uh, DeForest Kelly as Leonard McCoy. James Duhan as Montgomery Scott. George Takai as Hikaru Sulu. Holy shit, they didn't include him in the main list. Who? Leonard Nimoy. Oh, didn't they? Wow, he's... No, Leonard Leonard Nimoy as Spock. (laughs) George Chikai as Akaro Sulu. Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov. Nichelle Nichols as Uhura. B.B. Besh as Carol Marcus. You may know her from a couple other movies uh, Steel Magnolias and Tremors. Mm-hmm. Merritt Buttrick as David Marcus. He did a lot of TV. In fact, he did a Star Trek The Next Generation in '88. Mm hmm. Um, and then unfortunately we lost him in 89 due to complications uh, to AIDS yeah. so we lost him really young Yeah. Paul Winfield as Clark Terrell
0: yes captain of the USS Reliant
1: that's right and you'll know him from also a lot of stuff but most notably in Terminator as the police captain mm-hmm. and as the <laughs> doofus general in Mars Attacks
0: <laughs> and also as uh, uh, Captain Captain uh, Dathan in Darmok yeah, yeah. The episode mm-hmm. of Next Generation
1: Dathan Yeah And
0: Picard, Picard. <laughs> Exactly
1: Kirstie Alley as Savick She was on Cheers Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying about her She replaced Diane Yeah And Judson Scott as Walkham and you'll recognize him from from TV a lot too. And he was uncredited in the in the in the credits, even though he has dialogue.
0: Yeah, he's kind
1: of an important character.
0: Somebody needs to call the Actors Guild.
1: Well, I don't know. Yeah, someone really does. Music by James Horner, who threw out the score for Star Trek One and said, "I'm doing something different." Yeah. And then he made great music One of my
0: probably my favorite Star Trek movie score. Yeah, especially the yeah. main theme. I just I just love it.
1: Oh, I love I like yeah. it. I whenever whenever Khan's ship appears. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cinematography by Gain Rusher, edited by William Paul Dornish, distributed by Paramount Pictures, Release date June fourth, nineteen eighty two. That's right, guys. It's another nineteen eighty two movie. It was a good year. Because everything came out in nineteen eighty two. I'm running out of things not to recommend. All of the in 1982,
0: <laughs> all of the filmmakers that year said, "Do you want to just set the tone for the next 20 years? Let's just <laughs> do that now. Let's just get it out of the way."
1: Well, the only thing missing is a superhero movie.
0: That's right. Yeah, yeah. I guess there wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't another Superman until the following year, and that was Superman Three, unfortunately. And yeah,
1: that was was that a superhero movie?
0: Like, yeah, kind of, maybe.
1: <laughs> Budget eleven point two million dollars. When Harve Bennett was brought on, the producers at Paramount said, "Bottom line, can you make this fucking movie for eleven point two million dollars?" Yeah, well, that's a direct quote. Because
0: the budget of the and, first one was over forty million, so this yeah. this was made for a quarter of the budget of the previous film.
1: And Harve said, "I could make five movies for that amount of money." <laughs> So, budget eleven point two, box office ninety seven million. So it made it into the top ten of the year. Didn't it?
0: Steve? Yeah. In fact, um, I was. I. F- its opening weekend at the time was the biggest opening weekend ever. That didn't last very yeah, long, was. but yeah at the for for the era it was the the biggest opening box office weekend uh, domestically yeah, ever. and
1: I don't know if anybody was really expecting it was expecting Star Trek II no after Star Trek,
0: I don't think so either because yeah, like you said, the first one it was definitely successful I mean it was successful enough that they felt like they wanted to make another one, although that was also mm-hmm. probably because they wanted to earn some more money back <laughs> because yeah, the first one had been so expensive but <laughs> but yeah, I don't think anybody expected it to be as big of a hit as it was,
1: mm-hmm. All right, Steve. Let's get on board the Enterprise. Oh boy, it's crewed by children,
0: <sighs> but they're good kids.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure nothing will happen on no. this training exercise, right?
0: Yeah, it'll be it'll be completely routine.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So okay, let's take our yeah. stations, okay, and let's warp into the world of Star Trek II: The Uncontrollable Crying at the end. I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> Star Trek II.
0: Don't give it away.
1: The Wrath of Khan, which is Spock's death.
0: now see spoiler alert
1: whatever Uh, fine Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan Owen David's Kirk's son
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know what actually I mean we did we we always tell them to watch the movie before they listen to (laughs) the show so it's your own fault if we're spoiling Star Trek 2 for you it's your own fault
1: yeah yeah. And also, why are you watching a review of Star Trek Two before watching Star Trek Two? What
0: are you doing with your life? Are you
1: that much on the fence? You're like, hey, everyone says it's great. <laughs> well,
0: but... I guess if these guys like it, I'll give it a shot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Steve, take it away.
0: All right, well, first we get the opening credits, which is just yes. simple, modest titles in front of stars with the opening theme playing, which the, the James Horner Star Trek Two theme is one of my favorites in the entire franchise. Um, yep. And then we dissolve to a display screen and then we pull back wait and they
1: gotta tell us where we are
0: we're in the 23rd century
1: thank god I wouldn't I would have been confused I was like is this a modern movie What's we're in the <laughs>
0: we're in the 23rd century my friend
1: uh, okay good, good good
0: good and then we, we we dissolve to a display and pull back and it's uh, we're, we're on what looks like the bridge of a starship perhaps even the bridge the of Enterprise. the Enterprise
1: yes they say they're on a trading mission yeah
0: and uh, we see some of the old familiar crew like there's Sulu at the helm and there's Uhura yeah. at the uh, at the communication station but there's yeah. this there's this new there's person
1: McCoy ogling the captain McCoy's
0: just hanging around yeah Spock's back there at the science station and but, yeah. but there's this unfamiliar character in, in the captain's chair the captain Who turns that? around and it's it's Lieutenant Savick this Vulcan young Vulcan woman and she's like okay. acting like she's in charge
1: Jeez oh, Louise
0: Women captains, am I right?
1: I know <laughs> <sighs> I hate th- In the original series, women couldn't be captains That was in the very last yeah, episode s- That's canon
0: Yeah, I hate that it got so politically correct In 1982
1: <laughs> I'm throwing this movie down and walking away
0: <laughs> Star Trek Two ruined my childhood
1: Anyway They're all like, yay, training mission
0: Yeah, everything's going great But Uh then, Uhura receives a distress call. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And who is it from?
0: It's from this little ship that you've probably never heard of, especially if you're a Star Trek fan, called the Kobayashi Maru.
1: Right, and they're in big trouble.
0: Yeah, they're they're in they're stranded inside the neutral zone.
1: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What happens in the neutral zone?
0: Well, that's where you're not supposed Nothing, to go.
1: <laughs> Cuz that's what neutral is. <laughs> neutral.
0: It's supposed to be neutral, but apparently if you go into there, it's big trouble.
1: Everybody dies or something.
0: That's what usually seems to happen, yeah.
1: And they're like, "Our ship is broke. Help us."
0: Yeah, and Savik's like, oh, "Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's go uh, go to the neutral zone."
1: They project it up on the screen and the neutral zone is a lot smaller than what I remember. Yeah,
0: it's maybe the computers are broken.
1: It looks like a great big egg. It's I just think like the computer a computer is broken. It's a
0: big basketball.
1: The neutral zone is a massive amount of space. It's like a like a little area that you're not supposed to go into. Right. Right? Right. It's
0: supposed to it's be like, like a border. Yeah, it's like a buffer zone between the borders of two regions. Not,
1: yeah. 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 Exactly. But they go in. And then there's an uh-oh moment when the Klingons show up.
0: Yep. The, the Klingons from the last movie show up.
1: Yeah, and, they do. And
0: they're like, you're not supposed to be here. And they, they shoot torpedoes at the Enterprise. Yeah. And shit blows up on the bridge. And McCoy gets thrown to the ground. And he looks like he's dead. And he's dead. Uh, Uhura's panel explodes. And she's dead. And, and Sulu's yeah. dead. And Spock's computer blows up behind him. And he's dead. And everybody's dead. Yeah.
1: And everything's blown up. Every- and everything's on everybody's fire. Everybody's on fire. And we're fire. like, this- This movie was real short, and it was a bummer. Everybody's
0: dead. I knew that they cut the budget, but I didn't expect this.
1: What's happening? Oh,
0: my God. But then... This is
1: what happened when you make women captain. Yeah,
0: see, I told you. But then... You hear what? you hear a voice, a familiar voice, who says, All yeah. right, open her up, and then the view it screen God? it's the voice of God, and the view screen like opens up like a door and it yeah. and it seems like they're not on the bridge at all because there's another room behind the view screen where there should be space and in walks this guy dramatically backlit and then the lights come on and it's Captain Kirk, actually Admiral Kirk, technically. It is yeah. it is Admiral, Admiral James Kirk T. Now. Kirk.
1: Don't forget he's an admiral Admiral Khan won't Admiral <laughs>
0: Yeah, Khan kind of He doesn't Well, we'll get there We'll get there He's not happy to hear about Kirk's promotion
1: So what the hell is going on? Are they breaking the fourth wall? Exactly Did the set break?
0: I've come to cancel this Star Trek movie The studio has changed its mind Or um,
1: did Kirk literally part the set Like Moses <laughs> I, Come into the.
0: <laughs> I want to make a big entrance Can I just break the bridge open and walk in? <laughs> sure, Bill Uh, Yeah, what happened... And it is a great entrance because he walks in and, you know, uh, Savick stands up and she's like, do you have any advice, Admiral? And he says, yes, uh, prayer, Mr. Savick. The Klingons don't take prisoners. And it turns out that this is just a training exercise and everybody... Oh, it's
1: one of them freaky, ultra-realistic training exercises. Exactly. And
0: everybody who was dead is actually alive and they all stand up, you know, and they're like, we're okay. Do they have to go
1: to how to pretend that you got blown up at your station Uh, classes? I think
0: it's probably part of command training, yeah. Yeah.
1: Or do they just pull on the number of times they've seen other crewmates die that way? <laughs> McCoy is like, I've got this. This is uh, bringing up my PTSD, Jim. Uh, I don't like it.
0: It's crucial for the <laughs> training we of the have seen cadet-
1: enough awful death in the universe exactly like this? Now you want us to pretend to die that way.
0: Bones, it's for the cadets. I need you to play dead.
1: All right, but you're paying for my just pills.
0: Just shut up and lay there. Don't breathe. Hold your breath. Um, but yeah, so everybody gets up and 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 Spock's like, "All right, everybody, you suck. Dismiss. Get out."
1: Well, we're gonna debrief. We're just, there's no winning the Kobayashi Maru test. We all know that,
0: right? Right. Well, although we, if we've never seen this movie before, we don't know because this is where it was introduced. But uh, but yeah, and yeah. and Savic is you know a little upset because she's like, "This isn't a fair test. You know, it's not. There's no way to win." And Kirk says, "Well, it's a test of character." There's and not then he
1: s- starts laughing to himself. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's like, yeah, 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 there's definitely no way to beat the test. No, there's no way. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Spock, should I tell her? No, I'll tell her later. Um,. <laughs> So, uh, and, uh, you know, as Kirk's getting ready to leave, but McCoy and and Sulu and Uhura are there, and they're like, hey, Admiral, you know, why are they putting all these trainees on the Enterprise when they could just put us back on it as the full-time crew? And Kirk's like, yeah, that's for young people, you old fossils.
1: And then he walks out, and and we're like, oh... Yeah. Someone's not happy with his life. No,
0: he's not doing too well.
1: And then he runs into Spock and Spock gives him a foreshadowing book.
0: Yeah, he says, "Here, and this will be relevant later in the movie."
1: Yeah, read it and happy birthday. Yeah,
0: and it's A Tale of Two and, Cities is the book that he yeah. gives
1: it. Yeah. Kirk's like, "Where are you going?" And Spock's like, "I'm going back cuz he's captain of the Enterprise now." Right. Yes. And he's like, "I'm going back to the Enterprise with my 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 boatload of children. We're well, going to have fun cuz I like it. It's fun." <laughs> it's
0: great being the captain of the Enterprise. So
1: where are you going? <laughs> I guess I'm going home. <laughs> to my apartment on Earth. And that's where we go. Yeah. He lives in San Francisco. Yep. He's got a nice bachelor pad. He does. Full of antiques. Yeah. You can hear the foghorns out there. And, and then... Uh, McCoy comes over and gives him a bottle of Romulan ale. Yeah. Not knowing it's going to spark arguments among Star Trek nerds forever.
0: <laughs> and he also gives him uh, another gift because it's Kirk's birthday and he gives him yeah. uh, he gives him an old pair of, of bifocals, of, of eyeglasses. Why? Because Kirk... Why does
1: he give him antique bifocals?
0: Well, because Kirk is apparently starting to lose his vision as he gets older and uh-huh. he's allergic to the normal 23rd century medical treatment. Retlax. Yeah, so he needs to use glasses. And McCoy, I guess, instead of just getting him a, a new pair of glasses, he said, "I'll get you a priceless four hundred year old antique pair of glasses."
1: And he's like, "Thanks." And he's all mopey.
0: Yeah, he's not. He doesn't and- like his birthday.
1: And if there's anything that McCoy hates, then anything in the world is unaddressed tension.
0: Right. He's like, I'm going to pop this balloon right now.
1: Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. And he's like, I feel old. I don't, I don't like what I. I don't like being admiral it's stupid. I and stupid. Just feel like I've
0: ruined my whole life.
1: And McCoy's like, get your get become a captain again, stupid. Yeah. Why'd you become so an admiral? Stupid. Why God? Are we friends?
0: <laughs> <laughs> just drink your Romulan ale, drown your sorrows, you mope.
1: Yeah, do it. Go back and be a captain now while you're young.
0: Yeah, or you'll regret Ish. it. Yeah, while you're youngish. You're middle aged.
1: <sighs> and so, uh, yeah, basically, Kirk is having a midlife crisis. Yeah,
0: that's exactly what he, he said. He has no
1: children. He has no family. He's sitting at. it. He's a desk jockey now. Yeah,
0: he hates his new job. He's unfulfilled. Yep. He wants to be yep. out and he wants to be out galloping across the co- the cosmos. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah. And so uh, we cut to space. Yeah. We cut to we another a, ship. A, a ship. Yeah. What's the ship's name? This
0: is the USS Reliant.
1: The Reliant? Yeah. It looks a little different from what we normally see on other spaceships from the Federation, but it's still a Federation ship. Yes, it is. And and Chekhov's on it.
0: Yeah, Chekhov is apparently the first officer, so good he for Chekhov. He got officer. himself a promotion, got himself reassigned. It's like, It's almost like yeah. life goes on.
1: And they're out there looking for suitable planets for the Genesis device. Or for Dr. Carol Marcus. Yeah, whatever
0: that or is. Or something
1: like that. Yeah. Yeah. And they go, Hey, we're we're in the Seti Alpha system. And I'm like, Hey Chekhov, does that ring you any bells in your head? Anything? <laughs> SETI Alpha system? No. You go, no, he's just like, We're going to City Alpha Six, City Alpha, I'm gonna say City Alpha all the time. <laughs> Nothing in my past relates yeah. to the city alpha system
0: i don't recall anything
1: I don't tell my captain no, go down to City Alpha Five yeah. <laughs> whatever you do
0: well, because what they have they have they have to find a planet that is completely lifeless, and, and what do they find? And they think that City Alpha Six qualifies, but they see this one little itty bitty life reading, and they're like, well. Doct- and they call Dr. Marcus on Skype, and she's like, look, it has to be totally lifeless, okay?
1: Yeah, and her lab has all the machines that light up and flash and go paint. Right,
0: she's in like a sci-fi lab, and she's like, it needs... She has
1: every stock sci-fi equipment that oh, Paramount had on hand.
0: All the little... Or that
1: you could rent.
0: All the little <laughs> blinky lights, yeah. Yeah. that Uh that signify future technology in Star Trek little tiny blinky lights that's that's the future Mm -hmm. and she's like you can't it has to be totally lifeless I can't I've explained this to you 20 times why are you calling me
1: yeah, exactly. And they're like, "We can go down and get it," and she's like, "Okay." And they're like, "Okay, yeah, shut up, we'll go do it." Yeah,
0: that'll help the plot along. So they, yeah, they beam down, yeah. C- Captain Terrell and, and Chekhov beam down to the planet.
1: Yeah, they go down to City Alpha Six, and everything goes great. The end. Yeah,
0: and it, it, it's it's a happy ending, and everybody's fine. No, the,
1: oh, except for all the cargo carriers they find. Yeah,
0: they're in the they're in the middle and, of a sandstorm, and they see like yeah. it's like a little trailer over a hill and they're like oh i wonder whose trailer this is so they break into this person's trailer not knowing whose it is and
1: a man comes running out of the desert (laughs) screaming don't fill up my holes my
0: holes (laughs) it's bad enough that the sandstorm has filled in most of his holes now these guys are here (laughs) kicking sand all around in them um, and they
1: see that there are people that are living there. And they see there's like a, this this aquarium full of sand that's moving around. Yeah, they're like, that's weird. Yeah. And then Chekhov is looking at some books, which includes Moby Dick, oh. and he looks at a belt buckle, and it says what Steve? It
0: says SS Botany Bay.
1: And he goes, oh, that's interesting.
0: <laughs> and then something slowly begins to occur to Commander <laughs> Chekhov.
1: <laughs> he's like, and then he sh- he shits his spacesuit. Yeah, and,
0: and then he's like, hey, Captain, we gotta go.
1: We, we gotta go now. We gotta, we gotta go gotta, right now. We gotta go now. We need to leave. And then they find out that there's a whole, there's a bunch, there's a megalomaniac and all of his followers down there, right? Oh yeah,
0: they 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 run into a, a party of Tuscan Raiders. Yeah, <laughs> it turns out to be uh, we're all
1: hiding from Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, oh, he, he thought he got up our village. <laughs> he thought he got all of us, but we escaped. You're not gonna tell him we're here, are you? We cut back up to the Reliant. Oh, hey, look, it's Kyle. Yeah,
0: the old transporter chief from the original series. Yeah, yeah.
1: He's a commander now. Good for him. And I guess communic- the science officer or something? I guess,
0: yeah. He's he's working the, the communications console or something. Yeah, and
1: he's like, I can't get a hold of the captain no more. And the other guy's like, that's weird. I, right? I guess
0: we all get promoted. Congratulations, everybody.
1: And then we cut back down to the planet, and the lead-robed guy who's got like a face mask and he's got robes all over yeah. him he takes, slowly takes off all of his clothes not all of his clothes. I mean, he takes <laughs> he off strips completely naked. No, I tell you, yeah, and... he takes off
0: like his, his outdoor <laughs> outfit, and boy, he's been doing some push-ups, because that dude's chest is fucking ripped. And
1: it turns out to be who? It turns out to
0: be none other than Khan Noonien Singh from the classic Star oh. Trek episode, The Space Seed.
1: By the way, speaking of ripped... Guys, that's not a fake chest. No, that's his real chest. It's his real chest. He worked out. But he's wearing the equivalent of a masculine wonder bra. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. To make him look far more muscular. Yeah. Right? So they're telling the truth when they said there's no prosthetic there. It's just accentuated it's just- a little. It's just accentuated, well, but you can tell.
0: Like you, you you can tell by when you see his arms and stuff. Like he he he, oh, yeah, he obviously got, worked out. He's not quite he's not as... a weak dude. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he's not quite as like bodybuildery as he appears. But he's not like yeah. yeah. That's that's one hundred percent Montelbon baby.
1: Yeah, and Khan's all like, "What are you doing here?" And they're like, "Nothing." And he's and and Chekhov's like, "This is City Alpha Six, right?" And that really pisses oh, Khan, Khan does off. Does he's like,
0: "Let me tell you the story of this planet since you asked." Yeah. he says yeah. this is actually SETI Alpha 5 funny story when we were dropped off here 15 years ago by by
1: Captain jerk by
0: Captain James Kirk. <laughs> um he 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 did this thing where he just dropped us off and then he completely forgot about us and never came back and like six months after he dropped us off um the the planet next door exploded SETI Alpha 6 <laughs> blew up SETI Alpha 6 exploded and the orbit of this planet shifted and now here we are.
1: And the whole planet's destroyed. The whole planet's and it's dead. it's only because I'm a genetically enhanced super dude that we're all still alive, right, guys? And they're like, yep,
0: yep, you're the yep. boss.
1: Yeah. And so Khan's like, so why are you here? And they're like, we're not talking. And then he's like, oh, okay. And then he gives Terrell <laughs> and Chekhov pets.
0: Yeah. He says, I just so happen to have the perfect thing to induce you to talk. Let me show yeah, you. It's
1: weird how this is perfect yeah. and why we would have it and why we would be keep keeping it alive this dangerous <laughs> <Yes>. creature. <laughs> this dangerous that animal that killed yeah. half of my crew yeah. and my wife.
0: <laughs> but on the other hand they're kind of cute. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. Okay, if you say so. The, and he, these he are, pulls...
0: yeah, they're like little, you know, grub, eel, slug looking things with little yeah. with little legs and teeth. And, and well, he drops them into their ears. And He
1: pulls, he pull. okay, so there's an adult one. Yeah. And he pulls a couple of these snot babies off its back. <laughs> and he puts it into their helmets. Right. And he's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to torture you. I'm just going to, we're going to put the helmets on. And then they drop onto their faces and then they crawl
0: through their ears. They crawl through their ears, into their brains. And that makes them. And they have the
1: convenient power of making people very susceptible to to suggestion, Right. Yeah. So
0: they basically become cons, like unquestioning servants at this point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And eventually they, they then go crazy and then they die.
0: Right. 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 But until then they're quite useful.
1: Oh, but now we cut back and Kirk uses some Star Trek One footage to get on board the Enterprise.
0: Yeah, yeah, because he has to inspect the ship because they have all these trainees right. on board and they're gonna take the ship out for a little shakedown cruise. Uh yeah. he's just gonna see see what see if these kids know what they're doing.
1: Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, so we have a bunch of inspection food. Yeah. It's like giving Scotty a hard time. And then we're like, Hey, let's go out and let's go let's go let's just tool around a bit. Yeah. Right? Take
0: take her for a little joyride.
1: Exactly. Yeah cut back, and check off calls Dr. Marcus, and he's totally not brainwashed. No,
0: not at all. He's completely fine.
1: He's definitely not as acting as if someone is whispering to him what to <laughs> yeah. say.
0: Please prepare to deliver Genesis to us. When? When are we? Upon our when, arrival.
1: Oh, oh, tell him, tell him it's Kirk's idea.
0: Tell him it was idea. Admiral Kirk who suggested that you give us Genesis.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, Marcus and her son, David... Yeah. They're, we haven't mentioned yet yeah but she had, are like all pissed off yeah
0: they're like we're not doing that and David's like it's, I told you this is what happens when the military interferes with scientists and she's like shut up
1: they're an exploration corps they're not they're not a military service right just, shut up David you don't know what you're talking about God <laughs> just go to your room so then Carol calls Kirk right but it's a garbled signal right oh, and, and this like, is what
0: the fuck and this is also when, when Kirk hears that Carol is calling for him we get the the message that oh they know each other like they're they, yeah, ha- they have a history they it's not other. and and Kirk isn't exactly thrilled to hear from her he feels like it's like a kind of a sad yeah, thing for McCoy's him.
1: McCoy's like didn't you fuck her once yeah. and he's like shut oh, up god
0: bones jesus yes i did but just shut up
1: yeah. And so Carol's like, why? What the? F- why? What are you doing? Yeah. Stop it. Kirk's- why are you trying to take Genesis away from us? Kirk's like, what the
0: hell are you talking about?
1: And she's like, I can't. I can't hear you.
0: Right. <laughs> it's because yeah, the communications are garbled and... He's like, yeah. okay, I guess we better go see what the problem
1: is. No, nah, yeah, yeah, they're gonna, uh, yeah, they gotta go. But then we come back to the bratty scientists and they argue some more, right? And they're like, "What are we gonna do? Roland's gonna be here. They're gonna take our science project away, right? And then what are we gonna do, right? And and uh-huh. Carol,
0: Carol's like, okay, so just pack your shit. Let's get ready to go. Yeah, yeah.
1: And we go back, and Kirk takes control of the ship again, just like he did in the first one. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> Except this time it's more amicable. This he happens a lot. Spock yeah. I gotta take control of the ship. and you, I don't have to. It's your ship. You can do it. I know you can do it. And Spock's like, we're besties, and uh, you can't hurt my feelings because I don't have any. You fucking liar, Spock. Yeah. And you can't... <laughs> I'll be cool and then the, and then he says something about needs and the many and the few I don't remember it's not yeah, it doesn't wind up me doesn't
0: wind up meaning anything yeah no yeah. nothing
1: at all what does he say Steve he says
0: uh, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one uh, yeah. not important and then
1: they hug and kiss
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and- <laughs> and Kirk says
0: thanks for giving me the shit because I was kind of gonna take it anyway that was just that was just false modesty on my part
1: yeah. Yeah. So um, now we cut back to the Reliant, which is now under control of Khan. And Khan's like, we're going to intercept the Enterprise. But then Khan Jr. shows up. And he's yes. like, we don't have to do that. We got our own ship. We can go anywhere we want. We're super cool. And Khan's like, uh, 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 I'm sorry. What have I been complaining about for the last 20 years? His name, real name is Yakum. Yeah. But I'm calling him Khan, Khan Jr. Jr. at and- <laughs> And he's like, what have I been? What guys? What has been my beef for the last twenty years? Anybody? In
0: unison, Kirk.
1: Kirk. Kirk.
0: He delivers a nice hammy little monologue about how he'll chase Kirk. He yeah, me.
1: he tasks, <laughs> and I shall have it. I will chase him round the. I can't do it. No, we will be here forever.
0: <laughs> it's the Quoting Con podcast. <laughs>
1: who's mostly co- quoting Melville yeah,
0: but, yeah. <laughs> it's the con quoting Melville quoting con podcast yeah yeah
1: I me and back on the Enterprise they go hey maybe we should find out what this Genesis thing is and then they go do a retina scan yeah and, and then
0: they they, they they watch a YouTube video that Carol made yeah. about Genesis yeah
1: uh-huh. And then uh, we find out that it's this thing that they launch at a, like a dead planet, and then it makes the dead planet an alive planet. Yeah, it's basically a a, a one shot terraforming tool. Yeah, exactly, right? exactly. It basically destroys the existing matrix of the planet and turns it into a, a matrix that can support life. And I guess plants grow real fast and yeah. it's super great. Yeah. So and and of course, McCoy has a, a, a philosophical and ethical problem with with it when he's like now we can destroy and create at the same time if we shoot it at a place that already has life.
0: Right. And Spock is just sort of like, well yeah, if you did that it would just destroy the current life and replace it with the new life yeah. and McCoy's like, you are such an asshole. How can you just yeah. say that? Like this is a terrible this could be a terrible weapon and Spock's like, well whatever. I mean, I'm just saying.
1: Yeah. But before they can start punching each other, Uhura tells them that there's an epic space battle coming and they need to get to the bridge. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: It's time for an action beat. Everybody to the bridge.
1: Everyone to the bridge, and so the Enterprise is flying up, and no, oh, there's the Reliant. Yeah, And they can't communicate with them, and they keep lying to the Enterprise, and the Enterprise is like, "Why do they keep lying to us?" <laughs> they're like, "Oh, we can't because of our engine, the, our warp coil, or something." And they're like, "Nope." And they're like, "Well, uh, let's keep let's keep letting the ship that hasn't established communications with us get closer. That's a good idea, right? Let's, yeah, let's get closer." And um, they're like, <laughs> uh, "Well." <laughs>
0: They basically let the Reliant get to about 5 feet away from them and arm yeah. its phasers and then Kirk's so then like Kong okay put can the shield stab in. the ship
1: Yeah <laughs> <laughs> I hate you I hate you I hate you <laughs> <laughs> well, he stabs him with phasers and photon torpedoes. Oh yeah, and there's a big battle. Yeah, the Reliant beats lot. up the Enterprise pretty good. Oh, real, yeah. real good. Yeah. and they hit him and they hit him in the engine room, and uh, lots of people scream. And Scotty answers the phone, and he's <laughs> like, "What? I'm busy. We're,
0: we're not doing too well down here, Captain. <laughs> Could I get back to you in a minute?"
1: Uh, and then Khan makes a phone call. Yep, he's like, he's "Hi, it's me." It yeah, <laughs> Remember me? And Kirk goes, who are you again? Yeah. You, I stranded
0: you on a planet. I need more than that.
1: More than that. I did a lot of stuff. Sorry. I, I screwed
0: stuff. you over when I commanded the Enterprise 15 years ago. So that's that's, that's, that's a line. line. <laughs> that's a long line.
1: <laughs> Bacan's like, hey, look, I'm going to swing around and destroy your ship. Unless... <laughs> You give me all data for Genesis. And they're like, what's that? And he's like, don't. Come on. I'm
0: super intelligent. Come on, dude. I'm
1: super smart. And he's like, okay, give me a minute. Spare my crew, right? Yeah,
0: yeah. He says, I'll, I'll be myself aboard, and I'll give you Genesis if you spare my crew. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, great. Do it. And then Kirk's like, okay, time to do some stuff. Yeah, right? yeah.
0: He he tells Savick, there's a thing uh, that they just made up called the prefix code that allows right. one Federation starship to override the controls of another one if they know, like, the combination. And yeah. so they look up the combination for the Reliant, and what they're going to try to do is lower Reliant's shield so that they can get a right. few... They have, they have like, two or three shots of their phasers left before they run out of power, so... A
1: tor- por- tor- proton
0: torpedo. Yeah, yeah. Something. Yeah, they're going to mess up. And that's up. what they do. Yeah.
1: And Khan's like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah. Dude, that's <laughs> not cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> And before they can hit the override, they get shied up and their engines are down now and the Enterprise limps off. Right. And everyone's like, whoo, we did it. And then Scotty, Scotty doesn't know that you're supposed to take injured people oh. to the medical bay and instead <laughs> brings a big bloody corpse up to... Up To the bridge for some yeah. reason uh, I hit the wrong
0: button <laughs> <laughs> It's hard to use the control paddle When you're holding a dead person yeah. in your arms <laughs> I hit the wrong button
1: <laughs> Yeah And so then this kid dies yeah. And it seems to really Really impact Scotty And that's because there's a bunch of cutscenes With this kid Yeah
0: and the, the cutscenes which, which were restored for a later release It, it turns out that this yeah. kid is Scotty's nephew
1: yeah. yeah, so everyone's feeling pretty bad. They remember that there's a bunch of kids on board, yeah, and so they decide to go to regular one, right? Right, because that's where the Genesis that's, people—that's Car Marcus—that's where is Genesis, way. yeah, exactly. And they're going to beam down, and it's going to be Kirk and McCoy and Savage. Yeah. are going to go down to regular one, and then Kirk and Spock talk about something right right before they leave. Hours will seem like days, or something. Well, yeah, no, no, that's they, after. that's
0: after when they're already on, yeah.
1: So they go down the regular one and it's abandoned. Yeah, they, except for like rats. Yeah, they, they <laughs> and a bunch of hanging dead people.
0: <laughs> they have a little mini horror movie there for about five minutes. <laughs> That's
1: right. A bunch of hanging dead people whose throats have been cut because yeah. Con went a little cuckoo brains. How do they know that? Oh, they found Terrell and Chuck crammed inside of a thing like like <laughs> they found them in like a a taped up refrigerator and they're like what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it turns out Khan had been there before he attacked Kirk on the ship just now, and they wouldn't tell him where Genesis was, so he just kind of lost it and killed everybody.
1: And Chekhov has one of my favorite lines in this movie. He put creatures in our bodies. (laughs) In our bodies. Made us say say lies. (laughs) Say lies. Do things.
0: Walter Koenig's big moment.
1: And they're like, oh, that's weird. And then they figure out that the people that that survived probably beamed down to the planet, right? Right,
0: except the planet's dead. Where could they possibly go? And, and then Kirk remembers, "Ah, but stage 2 of the Genesis project was to create life in an underground area."
1: So. And the the the, the transporter has been left on and that's where yeah. it was beaming to. So let's get in and maybe we'll go where they went. And McCoy says, "What if they went nowhere?" And he's "Shut up."
0: <laughs> Kirk says, "Well, then this will be your big chance to get away from it all." Get it? And McCoy says, "Is this really the time for that?" <laughs> Well, I just
1: I just pulled down like fifteen dead bodies that were hanging yeah. like
0: we're, we're we're on a station full of dead people. Scotty's nephew just died. Our yeah. ship nearly got blown up. You really want to be quipping with me right now?
1: <sighs> so we get down to the planet. David pops out and tries to kill him. Yeah, and he then, don't know no better. Yeah, and then we just solidify that Carol and Kirk were an item, and that Kirk is her baby daddy. Yep. And then before we can really digest that, uh oh. Terrell and Chekhov are still under control No, oh, they still got
0: those worms in their brains.
1: Yeah, and he's like, okay, now I want you to kill Kurt. And Terrell's like, I don't know if I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and instead, he shows us just how awful it is to die under phaser fire.
0: Oh, boy, yeah, he turns his phaser on himself, and he kind of uh, melts into yeah. nothing into while into he's nothing. screaming.
1: <laughs> and then Chekhov screams, and his his little snot baby comes out of his ear. <laughs> He's like, oh, to hell with this. And then, <laughs> and then James C. Kirk shows just how proficient he is with a phaser oh, by yeah. hitting this tiny little three centimeter little thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he nails it and, and sets it on fire.
1: Accidentally vaporizing Chekhov's head.
0: He says, we'll seek out new life later. Yeah. yeah.
1: But now Khan has the coordinates for the genesis device and he beams it up yeah and he he has genesis and kirk's like you gotta come down here and get me you you, you want to get me come on down here and get me and khan's like ah no i've nope. abandoned you just like you abandoned me Ha
0: ha ha poetic justice see ya
1: bye and then Kirk screams so loud that he can be heard in space.
0: Yeah, yeah. He has a little tantrum, which, you know, he could understand, given this the situation. This has never
1: been mocked anywhere, ever. This never. This scream of Khan, right?
0: Because it's a completely serious moment. That's right. hmm
1: So, oh, we skipped over the part that at some point, uh, before he beams down, Kirk says to Spock via communicator, hey, how's the repairs going? Yeah. And Spock says... Um, if we go by the book, hours can seem like days, right? Yeah, right. And we just think that's dialogue, but super secret code,
0: everybody. Right? It's an impenetrable code. And he says the Enterprise won't be going anywhere for two days.
1: And since Kirk knows that, why did he act so upset when Khan ran out? Why did he screamed Khan so loud?
0: Because <laughs> it's just it's the heat of the moment, you know.
1: Oh, okay. So now Kirk and Carol have a heart to heart. Yep. Kirk, Kirk's feeling old and stupid.
0: And she's like, let me show you this cool cave. Turns out that
1: Carol didn't want him around to raise his son.
0: Right. Which is not the most complimentary thing you could say to Captain Kirk. like, Yeah. Well, because cause she never even told David that Kirk was his father. No. And, and the reason that she says she never told him was because she didn't want David to, to want to go with him and have yeah. a fun space adventure life. She wanted David to be with her. So. Yeah. And for a brief yeah. time,
1: David thought that it was the... He thought it was the Federation that killed all the guys that they left behind.
0: Right? Yeah, he blamed Kirk for it. David when they must first not know up.
1: what the Federation stands for at all.
0: Well, he's a science nerd. He's got to, You know, he's had his face buried in books all his life. He's never been <laughs> out there in the real world, and he's living like, a oh, real look, life.
1: Proto matter. I bet that can fix some problems. <laughs> that won't come back to bite me in the
0: ass at all. Nope. Of course, they haven't even made it up yet because they no. haven't written that movie. Shh. Oh, sorry.
1: Anyway, <laughs> she's like, "Hey, come come to my cave." Get it? Uh-huh. Come, come to my cave, Kirk you'll, feel, you'll cave. feel young again if you come yeah.
0: into my cave. <laughs> yeah, baby.
1: I Take can't my hand. I fucking just said that sentence.
0: It's in a Star Trek movie. It's canon.
1: If you come into my cave, you'll feel young again. Like the world it, is new. And you're and like, you know you're what? overselling your punani, <laughs> madam. I don't. But it works. And he's like, oh, It'll, a cave.
0: <laughs> but it works.
1: It works. The cave's all filled with, like, a sun somehow. And yeah.
0: Then, which is important for later, I, I have to note. It's important for later that we establish that the Genesis effect somehow is able to create suns. Yeah.
1: Yes. But it's filled with, like, apples and uh, stuff. And yeah. Savik wants to know how Kirk got past the Kobayashi-Murro and how Kirk get past the kobayashi <laughs> He cheated. Oh, and before she he can cheated. recover to that blow, it turns out Spock lied. <gasps>
0: I just don't believe in anything anymore. Because of
1: the code thing. Yeah, And they're like, great, now we gotta get away from Khan. Let's run away to the Motara Nebula, right?
0: Right, because that'll blind their sensors, but also Khan's sensors as well, so they'll be on an even playing field.
1: That's right. Sauce for the goose, Mr. Savick. <laughs> yeah. And so they're running to the nebula. Khan's like, there they are. Let's get them. And then they, the, the Khan Jr. says, we can't go in there. We we'll won't be able to see him. We'll get, it's a bit stupid. We'll, we'll be bad. It'll be bad. And then Kirk's like, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> I got him. I got him. And, he's, and he calls down to Khan. And he's like, hey, dude, guess what? Number one, I'm not on the planet no more. Number two, you're an idiot. Bye.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you suck.
1: And that really gets Khan's go He pushes Khan Jr. out of the way And he stomps down on the go faster pedal Yeah And then they both enter into the Motara Nebula Mm. And we have a slow motion submarine battle Between two starships, right?
0: Yeah, yes we do That's exactly what we have
1: Guess who wins
0: Uh, I'm gonna not not con
1: no not con they get they blow things up and stuff, and the the enterprise takes a couple of things, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Couple of things, one very important one in which radiation stuff in the engine room. And Scotty's like, I need another job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. <laughs>
1: uh huh. And um, so their warp drive is broken. Yeah. And the only place they can fix it is in a room, but that room's highly radioactive, right? Yeah,
0: nobody can go in there.
1: And meanwhile, Khan's like, "Okay, I might be dying, but I'm no, I'm going. Oh, no way! I have at least <laughs> one more line of Melville to say, and I'm going. <laughs> and you're going to listen to it. So then he activates the Genesis device. Right, right,
0: right. And because they don't have their warp drive operating, the Enterprise doesn't have enough time to get away and get get far enough away before the explosion. So they're all going to die.
1: They're all going to die. Except what
0: happens? Well, Spock says, hmm, I know what I can do. Uh-huh. And, he, and he doesn't, he, without saying a word, he stands up from his post and leaves the bridge yes. and takes a little trip down to engineering. Yeah. And he's like, hey, how's everything going down here? Are y'all good? I'm and McCoy's and- like
1: what do you think you're doing? He's like, I'm going in there to be a, to be a martyr. And he's like, no, yeah. you're not. And he's like, you going what? Yeah. And then he knocks McCoy out with a broken it? nerve pinch. And then he does you something, got something weird. on your
0: shoulder. Yeah. He does something yeah.
1: really weird. What does he do, Steve?
0: Uh, after McCoy is knocked out, he puts his hand on McCoy's face, a uh, mind meld style. And he just goes, Remember.
1: Okay. Wonder what that meant. I have no idea. Weird, huh? It is weird. And then he goes in there and he fixes the thing and they get the warp drive back. And Genesis Genesis goes boom, but they go into warp drive and they get away, right? Yay. Yay. Except... What happens?
0: Well, uh, Kirk calls down to engineering and he's like, hey, good job, Scotty. And McCoy answers the call and he's like, hey, you better get down here. There's some bad happening down here. And, and he looks over at Spock's empty chair and he's like, oh, shit. So he yeah. makes a break for it, just runs down to engineering.
1: And then some stuff happens and it's the end of the movie.
0: And the movie's over. Yeah.
1: Don't make me do this scene. <laughs> Don't make me do it. Can you do it, please?
0: I'll do it. Okay. Please,
1: please do this, movie. It's only, this part of the movie.
0: It's only the saddest thing that ever happens in Star That's Trek. That's
1: why I'm making you do it, because you have a heart of stone.
0: <laughs> they they undo it in the very next movie, but it still is like the saddest thing ever in Star Trek. So Kirk, uh, Spock is, is in the the radiation room, and, and he can't come out, because if they open the door, it'll flood the compartment with radiation. radiation. So he's he's stuck in there. And Scotty's he's, a faker. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty wakes up, and he's like, hey, and, you know, he's... He can't he's can't go in he, there. Yeah, he's dead already, Scotty he says. He says it doesn't matter, there's nothing we can do for him. Yeah. So Kirk turns on the the communicator and he's like, "Spock, man, dude, and Spock's like, "Is the ship out of danger? Did Spock I do it?" First
1: and... gets up. Oh yes. Straightens his tunic.
0: Yes, and and attempts and, to walk over to Kirk,
1: and bumps into the wall because it's obvious that he's now blind. Right.
0: He he's yeah. His face is all messed up from the radiation and the heat and everything, and yeah, uh, he's not doing good. And uh, he he says he says, "Look, don't grieve because it's logical. The needs of the many outweigh." And then Kirk Finishes, completes it. Says the, is... the needs the needs of the few or the one. And and uh, then Spock, really because Spock really wants to twist the knife and break Kirk's heart. He says, you know, I never took the Kobayashi Maru test until now. now. What do you think of my solution? And then everybody in the theater is like, oh, so that's why that was in the movie. And, uh, and then uh, Spock, he slips down. He can't stand anymore. Yeah. And uh, he says to Kirk, I have been and always shall be your friend. And he takes off his glove and he puts his hand on the glass with the Live Long and Prosper configuration he says says, live long and prosper and then he dies
1: and what is Kirk say
0: Kirk says no
1: (laughs) and if you weren't feeling bad enough yet
0: (laughs) if you were thinking boy that was tragic I hope we get to see Spock's funeral
1: and bingo bingo bongo that's what we jump directly to guess what Spock's funeral and it's super sad too and they've loaded him into a torpedo tube and Scotty's playing the fucking bagpipes. He's
0: playing amazing grace on the bagpipes.
1: Kirk gets up and does a speech and kind of insults Spock a little bit.
0: Yeah, but his heart's in the right place. Although they do they do cut to a reaction shot of Savick and she's kind of like she's okay, crying. whatever.
1: She's crying. Zavik is crying. The Vulcan is crying.
0: She's young. You know, they, they, young Vulcans, you know, they, they're Whenever, a little bit more emotional. And
1: then they shoot his torpedo tube towards the newly formed Genesis planet.
0: Right? Yes, because the Matara Nebula has coalesced into a planet because the of sun. the Genesis effect. And the sun. Yes, exactly.
1: And um, Kirk's in his room, and he's like, well, this has been a shitty week. <laughs> and then his son comes in to make it shittier, he thinks. He's like you finish your drink i gotta go and david's like i'm proud to be your son and he's like it's, this makes everything this is makes up for everything or something yeah and they
0: hug and it's like "Oh, the the father and son accept each other
1: yeah and then yeah. they look out on the planet and uh mccoy asks him how he's feeling right
0: yeah well he first he he quotes from a tale of two cities he says right. uh, it's a far better thing i do now than i've ever done before a far better resting place i come to than i've never known
1: Right, which is the story about another person who sacrifices himself. Right, right. And uh, then he says he feels young. So midlife crisis over, and it only took fighting with your greatest enemy and losing your best goddamn friend.
0: (laughs) And now it's like, actually, I'm pretty good.
1: But that doesn't last, because if you watch the next movie, it doesn't last very long. Nope, nope. And then we go back, we go down onto the planet, and we see the torpedo tube, right? Yep,
0: yeah, the torpedo tube is sitting on the Genesis planet in the middle of, like, this lush sort of rainforest area. Yeah. And then we dissolve back to the sky, and then we dissolve back to the stars.
1: Yeah, and we hear and Leonard Nimoy say the thing. Yeah, he
0: says the classic, the opening narration for the TV show.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then the movie's over.
0: That's it. The end.
1: And 13-year-old Jason doesn't know how to feel anymore. <laughs> He doesn't know how to feel anymore, Steve.
0: What am I even going to do with my life?
1: It was like I walked out sobbing so hard that I couldn't breathe from E.T. and walked directly into the screening of (laughs) Wrath of Khan. I know
0: what will make me feel better. A Star Trek movie.
1: Fun adventure my friends. The friends. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, Steve, Mm -hmm. how do you feel Mm -hmm. about this science fiction classic film? Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Cod.
0: <laughs> so, well, we already said at the beginning, like it's the best Star Trek movie. Um, yeah, it's it's to me anyway, and I know not everybody feels this way, and not every not e- even not every Trekkie feels this way, but for me personally, this is as close to a perfect star trek movie as i can imagine like yep. it's diffi- it's difficult even in my head with all the conceit of you know oh you could do a better job if you only had blah 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 it's difficult for me to even imagine a better one like i don't know how i in a perfect world with limitless talent and resources could make a better star trek movie than this one um it's it's got such a precise balance of tone where it's mostly serious But it's not too serious. It's not grave. It's not like self-important. It's goofy, but it's not too goofy to undermine the seriousness and the drama. You know, uh, Khan is a very over-the-top, scene-chewing villain. You know, he's like a he's like a almost like a cartoon supervillain, but. But Montauban plays you. him, but Monteban <laughs> plays him so well, and he does come across as threatening, which is very important. Like he comes Montoban across as loved this role. Oh, I can tell, and he should have. Like he he comes across it's it's theatrical. It's like a classic theatrical villain, yeah. where yes, he's big and over the top and he's exaggerated. He's
1: almost Shakespearean.
0: Extremely so, extremely so. He's very big, but but he has a sense of real threat and real menace. So you you don't he he doesn't read as a joke. He reads as as a serious threat and a serious villain, um, which is really really important. Uh, the The aesthetic of this movie is my favorite Star Trek aesthetic. I love the Nicholas Meyer Star Trek movie aesthetic. I love the look and the feel of the Enterprise. Yeah. I love the fact that in this movie and to a slightly lesser extent in star trek 6 the enterprise it, it feels and looks as much like a real functioning military or quasi military vessel as it ever looks um it has the narrow corridors kind of like a submarine it has adequate lighting so that everybody can see what they're doing but it's not overly bright nor is it overly dim and super dramatic uh the the tactile controls the controls have buttons and switches that people move um when when they stage action sequences aboard the ship, like when they're preparing for the battle, uh, it's staged so that the characters are doing things. There's yeah. an awesome shot that I love where they're preparing to load the torpedo bays, and there's a push across like the track where the torpedoes follow. Mm-hmm. Where you can see them there's a there's crew members on either side pulling up grates out of the floor. So like it's not just people standing at computer consoles pushing buttons. Like there are people doing things. They're doing activities and recognizable work to get ready for what's going to happen. And and I love that. Um, In terms of the story, it does what really very few other Star Trek movies even attempt, even even the other really good Star Trek movies, of which there are several. um, And that is it attempts really, really meaningful character development. The, The characters in this movie, especially Kirk, are forced to confront their advancing age, the passage of time, the consequences of their actions or their inactions. Kirk in this movie is forced to pay for responsibilities that he neglected as a younger man, that he neglected in the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even before that, you know, his 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 sort of blowing off of the Kobayashi Maru and refusing to learn that lesson. Now he is forced to learn that lesson in, in the most painful in way. His
1: son's life.
0: Yeah, and being present. Exactly. Confront the the, the consequences of of not being a father. And, uh, you know, and it it all comes rushing into him at once. And he's forced to pay for all of these things that he's overlooked or neglected in in these incredibly harmful, wounding, painful ways. also a rarity for Star Trek films is the fact that this movie uh, when this movie opens the familiar status quo has been altered even more so than it was at the beginning of of the motion picture because at the beginning of the motion picture Kirk has been promoted but everybody else is pretty much where they all have always yeah. been Sp- Spock is on Vulcan but he comes back like real quick um, yeah. whereas in Star Trek 2 Kirk is still an Admiral but he's now sort of completely removed from the Enterprise except for this inspection thing that he's doing Spock right. is the captain of the ship the old crew is still here here, but they seem like they're mostly like in an advisory role or they're working with the students they're not like really the crew anymore right. uh, checkoff is completely gone he's' serving on a, on a totally different ship and he's been promoted. So it starts the characters out as though time has gone on as though life has gone on and they're in different places instead of freezing them where they've always been, which is kind of what the movies do from now on. Yeah. Uh, where they're all just, they all have like the same jobs again, with the exception of star Trek six, where they promote, uh, Sulu. Right. Um, so it seems like Nicholas Meyer was saying, you know, maybe because we should... I
1: didn't want to be in the same scenes with him.
0: <laughs> I'll do it. If I don't have any scenes with bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, the story is very simple and directly told. There's very little exposition. There's almost no techno babble, which is wonderful because techno babble didn't really become part of the franchise in a big way until Next Generation. Until and it's, Next it's, Gen. And it's refreshing, even though I love Next Generation, it's refreshing to see Star Trek where there's no techno babble. It's very straightforward. The crew and K- Kirk and the crew begin on Earth. Khan and Chekhov and the Reliant crew begin at SETI Alpha 5. They converge at Regula, and the rest of the movie is there and in the surrounding area in the Nebula. So it's very yeah. uh, efficiently told. Um, Nicholas Meyer knows that that action in a Star Trek movie, at least in an original Star Trek movie, is best if it's Built around suspense, not Star no. Wars style dogfight action, and that's why the fights, the starship battles, especially the second one in the nebula, which, as you said, is is basically a submarine battle in space, um, intentionally so. That was very much the inspiration for it, and it's it's about suspense. It's not about you know pew pew action, fast moving ships. It's yeah. it's about suspense. It's about them trying to outthink each other. There's a great bit where Kirk, where Spock and Kirk realize that Khan is thinking two dimensionally like their ships sailing on a sea on a planet and they yeah. can actually move in three dimensions in space and the re- the way that Kirk is able to beat him is by dropping the Enterprise down below where Khan's ship is and then coming back up once Khan's ship flies over them and they're able to shoot him and catch him by surprise. That's a wonderful And I, Star Trek doesn't really even do that that often. Star no, Trek usually doesn't. usually frames battle scenes. It's amazing as though the how ships,
1: often the ships meet and they're right side up. Yeah, they're space. right side
0: up and, and they're on the exact same plane and nobody Uh even really suggests moving up or down they're always like like they're just meeting on a on a a two-dimensional battlefield so yeah i mean there's i could go on forever but i'll just say it's it's a very close to perfect blend of action and adventure and suspense and And character. character character development tragedy there's a little teeny tiny bit of political and social commentary when they talk about the consequences of the genesis device and whether or not this is technology that should be created it's not a lot but it's there and mccoy kind of voices that yeah. um, and of course there's the over-the-top scene chewing acting particularly of montoban and, and and shatner has a few moments there too um, and it's just it's just the best star trek movie ever it's it's as good as for me personally and for a lot of people uh, it's as good as Star Trek gets so yeah I, I love this movie
1: I agree that's it <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things that this Star Trek gets right is that it focuses on the characters rather than on the shit right yeah oh yeah um, unfortunately, due to its, this popularity of this film A lot of the subsequent Star Trek films Took the wrong cues from this movie And thought, oh, you, when you know what works? Revenge plots Oh, yeah Revenge plots, everybody Revenge plots You know what? The original Star Trek run Which is Star Trek 1 to Star Trek 6 Didn't mm-hmm. recycle the revenge plot again
0: No, right? it didn't No, it didn't
1: But, boy, did we get it in the We got it in the Kelvin timeline On yes. every single one of those movies All of them, yeah and even Generation got into it by lifting just full cloth from this fucking movie. Yeah. For whatever the last one was. Yeah. well, And, and also,
0: like, you, it, they, it was a little bit in First Contact as well, because it's, it's Picard versus Borg, and I mean, yeah. and there's, there's a lot of Rathacon stuff in there. Oh, you, yeah, there no, is. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> but the thing that makes this thing work, the thing that keeps it together is that... These people are friends. Yeah. They know each other, right? Now, Star Trek Two is a little interesting for me because this is the beginning of what I call the long character arc of of Captain Kirk, okay? Mm. Things are set up in this movie and in the next one that don't pay off and play out until Star Trek Six. We can ignore Star yeah. Trek V altogether because everyone does, but <laughs> there's a long arc here for Kirk that starts yeah. off in this film. Um, and you know, I'll. What I will say honestly is that we get a deeper feeling for how dedicated these people are to one another in Star Trek Three, which oh, yes. I coincidentally just went directly to watching right after I watched this twice. Oh, like, sure. Oh, I'm going straight to Star Trek III, and I watched yeah. That after this um but this is where we start getting the beginning ideas that these people they've known each other for years they have a com- the best scenes in this are the scenes between not just Kirk and Spock but between Kirk and McCoy yeah who at this point not only are they believable as friends but you really get the sense that these are people who have known each other for a decade they're completely comfortable yeah calling each other on their bullshit right
0: <laughs> yeah definitely
1: That helps with this because if you give a fuck about the characters, then you care about what happens, and it doesn't matter how goofy it gets or how kind of over the top the villain is, right? Right. Additionally, it helped that there was a villain that all of them knew about, right? When this is, for those of people who don't know, Space Seed, blah, 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 TOS. (laughs) It's based off of that episode from the original series, and all of the characters, all of the primary characters, the bridge crew, know about Khan, right? Right. We only have to kind of explain it a little bit. And even then, when Carol Marcus turns to Kirk and says, who is this Khan? He's like, it's a long story. Yeah, he gives
0: her just the minimal explanation. He
1: doesn't even do that. He says, it's a long story.
0: Yeah. And and then at one point, he he says, you know, there's a man I knew 15 years ago who's trying to kill me. He's
1: got a beef. But it's also the interactions between him and David. It's the interactions yeah. oh. between all of them. For people yeah. who like to say Bill Shatner is not a good actor, he can be terrible. But he's not in this movie.
0: No, no.
1: Uh, there is a lot of tiny, subtle things in this performance uh, with him as Kirk that thoroughly convinces you that this is a guy who is dissatisfied. That he's you know that he's looking at the end of his life rather than and and kind of. Kind of regretting some of the stuff in the uh, at the beginning that he's made mm-hmm. a mistake, um, and you know he's dealing with it. It's not like he's he's. This is the least scene chewing that he does, with the exception of screaming Khan. Yeah, this is the least <laughs> amount of scene chewing that that Shatner does as Kirk. Everything about him. this Kirk is great. The whole scene where he, where he explains about the Kobayashi Maru and how he cheated, and how he doesn't like to lose, and all that stuff. This is this is this is prime Kirk in this movie. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Except now we're getting the shit that we wanted from TOS, from the from the original series. Now it's this is Kirk more played more subtly. You know, he's not you know high on some space madness stroking his ship and talking about how it's taken everything away from him. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, but also the other thing that I'll mention real quick, they, they don't make him tortured. They don't no. make him like a depressing character. They make no. him, he's 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 dealing with regret, but yeah. it doesn't make him into a, a, a morose or a depressing or a dark character.
1: Yeah, he's, he... You can tell because of your familiarity with the character. And the other characters can tell that something's up with him, especially the ones that know him well. Right. Right? So there's a great line. There's a, there's a fantastic line where Spock's like, I'm going back to the Enterprise. We're going to be doing a training mission. And he, and he turns to Kirk and he says, and you? And he has one line. He has one word. Yeah. And he says it. He says home. And he says it in such a way that you know how utterly... Utterly disappointed he is is that's where he's going. Yeah, because home isn't the Enterprise. And it's not overplayed. It's not overplayed. No. Um, Now, about Montalban. (laughs) He is Shakespearean in scope. He's big. He's huge in places. But do you ever... Ever are not convinced of his motivations. No,
0: no, <laughs> he's dangerous. You never forget he's that he's dangerous.
1: Fucking dangerous. And I love how the script doesn't outright at any point tell us directly anything. I love this line. The line when Chekhov, let, uh, when Terrell says, "I've never met Admiral Kirk," and he says, "Admiral."
0: <laughs> oh, it's such a great moment. Admiral.
1: <laughs> And you can see it just... It's a knife just jabbed right into it.
0: The guy who ruined my life is an admiral?
1: (laughs) Am I saying it's the most realistic portrayals ever? No, but boy, oh boy, does it get to you. And really, if none of that stuff had been present, when Spock dies, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. And even, even Nimoy is doing his best, man. He's doing his best because this was the death he wanted yeah. I'm going to finally die in Spock, hooray
0: <laughs> I won't have to do this ever again
1: Harrison Ford is looking at it going How come, why Why is that He's more uh, famous than I am, arguably <laughs> I could have died like that People would have been crying forever
0: George, come here
1: <laughs> Watch this scene
0: This is what I want <laughs>
1: but we get a when he dies it's not an explosion no he's not you know he's not shooting at anybody he saves the lives of his crew members and the death scene is quiet and mm-hmm. it's between two people and it is genuinely moving right yeah. and oh, it doesn't yeah. matter if you have a history with these people you knew them from the TV show and now you're like oh god no it works yeah and that's what works about the movie special effects sci-fi plot Genesis device how does that work who cares fuck it we're not here for that (laughs) we're here for the people we're here for them and how they're going to deal with the situations that are presented to them right every time Kirk does one over on Khan you're like fuck yeah and they make sure to show Khan reacting to it yeah
0: like (laughs) oh that son of a bitch
1: there's a great push in when they when they use the prefix codes (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh well, yeah, Con Junior's
1: like, like our shields are dropping. <laughs> raise them, <laughs> raise them. Push into Con Junior. I can't. Uh, it's push beautiful. Push into
0: Con. <laughs> yeah, it's and that's another. That's an example of like how there are other modes of drama besides oh, yeah. besides like super realism. Like you can go over the top and theatrical, and it still works one hundred percent. That scene is a great example.
1: But I would also like to use the cinematography that was used in, and I'll use that scene as an example as well. Push in for effect when he says he can't, push in on Khan as he goes wide-eyed and realizes what they're doing, and then they cut to this great shot where he is looking for the override. It's a POV shot looking down at one of the control panels, and it's a confusing mess of buttons. (laughs) And you immediately understand why it is that he doesn't immediately find the override and push it before they get attacked. That's good cinematography. Um, Whoever was the cinematographer on this knew that he was going to be working in tight, cramped spaces, so he shot them well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, there's a lot of praise I can heap on this. The audio quality can be a little bad in places um, because I guess the mic, boom mic, wasn't working. I don't know what it was. I have no (laughs) idea. But I mean, the special effects are the special effects, right? We're not going to. I think they're fine. They're fine. They're serviceable. They they work for the plot. They work for the story. So yeah, I'm gonna say it. Classic, Steve.
0: Oh yes, absolutely. If if this ain't a classic, there ain't been a Star Trek movie made yet. That's that's a classic. This is Damn definitely straight. a classic.
1: And now it's time for us to not recommend a movie. I'm running out, Steve.
0: <laughs> well, because you 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 gave yourself the same year gimmick. I am not constrained by the same. year I know gimmick.
1: you're free. Go. For I'm,
0: it. I'm free. <laughs> So we have indulged in this show up to this point in one of the great one of the great joys of being a Star Trek fan, and that is gushing about Star Trek. Yeah. But now I want to indulge and in and believe the,
1: me, we showed considerable restraint.
0: Oh, man, we could this could easily be a four hour episode <laughs> easily from this point on we could decide right now to make this a four hour episode and we could have, and we we could could do
1: have it. stopped and gone over every scene line by line if we really wanted to
0: oh boy yeah yeah absolutely so so that's one of the great joys of being a star trek fan is to gush about star trek but i want to indulge in one of the other great joys of being a star trek fan and that is complaining about star trek yeah um, because my not recommendation is one of the lesser star trek films in fact, I will say that for my money, it is by far the worst Star Trek film yet made. Um, so we're going to go from the best Star Trek to the worst Star Trek. And for me, the worst Star Trek is the 2002 final voyage of the crew of the next generation, Star Trek Nemesis. That is the movie. that
1: movie's almost 20 years old. I
0: know. <laughs> and who would have thought, certainly not me, who would have thought at the time, that Tom Hardy would go on to be such a a big star and be such a fantastic actor. Yeah, um, because this movie was the first time I saw him, and uh, the Star Trek Nemesis is it's basically they said let's do Wrath of Khan, but let's do it for Captain Picard and let's make it really terrible.
1: And let, um, yeah, let's not really write it good.
0: Let's not really write it good. And so the, the screenplay was written by John Logan, who is actually a screenwriter with some impressive credits um, and is a huge Star Trek nerd. But unfortunately, that works against him in this because this the screenplay for this feels like really badly written Star Trek fanfic that desperately needed a rewrite from someone with He was also
1: close a, friends with Brent Spiner. He
0: was close friends with Brent Spiner, and they developed the story together. Um, And yeah, it just, it feels like it desperately needed a rewrite from someone who was less attached to the material, you know, like someone like Nick Meyer or Harv Bennett, someone who like, I Meyer
1: who had never watched Star Trek before he got the job
0: and, and, and who knew exactly what to do with it because he didn't cherish it. Like a holy scripture. Yeah.
1: You know, his irreverence for it actually worked.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what, that's the main reason why I think he's the best director whoever did Star Trek, because he knew what, why it worked, but he didn't love it like a child, and you know what I mean? Like He wasn't so reverent for it. He wasn't anyway,
1: precious about it.
0: No, not at all. But now, see, the, the Nemesis had a similar situation, though, where they hired a director who knew absolutely nothing about Star Trek, and in this case, it bit him in the ass, because the director of Nemesis is a guy named Stuart Baird, who is actually more properly an editor, and as an editor, he's legitimately one of the great editors to work in Hollywood in the last 40 or 50 years. He's a fantastic editor. He's worked on he's he edited Superman he edited he's edited lots of of, of very well-known films and uh, he's the kind of editor that they would hire to come in and fix someone else's movie if the editor that they hired had completely screwed the pooch Stuart, but as
1: we've said before an editor and a director no are two completely different jobs
0: yeah and so Stuart Baird comes in to direct Star Trek Nemesis and uh the result is this movie that is just completely lifeless and joyless yep and and there's and Boring and pointless, and, and weird character and, choices. Yeah, weird. Yeah, characters are written out of character for no reason and and to no effect. Like it's fine yeah. to write a character out of character if it's if you do something with it, but it's like they change Picard in just sort of random ways that end up going nowhere. Riker um, gets
1: to punch the monster that raped Deanna yeah, Troy Yeah, I said there, that. Yeah, there's there's the, that. <laughs>
0: there's there's a, a mind rape scene which doesn't need to be there and goes nope. nowhere. There's yeah, they have no idea what to do with Riker for the last half of the. Movie, so he just has like a forty-five-minute fist fight in the bowels of the <laughs> ship with with the the bee villain, and and there's a bunch of stuff with data that you know seems like they had some idea for it, but doesn't end up going anywhere. And then they kill off data in the least satisfying way possible in
1: a big explosion. And-
0: in a big explosion, there's one good scene in the whole movie for me, and that is when Riker and Picard say goodbye because they finally promoted Riker to his own captaincy, and and they have a, a quiet moment between the two of them in Picard's ready room before Riker leaves. You where mean he a shakes, character
1: interaction that actually means something, <laughs>
0: right? Where he shakes his hand and he says, "You know, it's been an honor to serve with you," and you can tell that it means something both to the characters and to the actors because I think everybody figured that this would be their last shot. Um, yeah. So it and that works if you're a Star Trek fan. And if you've known these characters, it does. If you, if all you're watching is this movie, unlike Star Trek Two, which I think works well, it kind of
1: comes out of nowhere. If yeah, you have, if you don't have any familiarity,
0: with yeah, it, it it probably doesn't mean that much. So yeah, I think Nemesis is by far the worst Star Trek movie. I know there are people who really don't like the Kelvin movies. I personally like all three of those movies uh, a lot. But but even if you don't like the Kelvin movies. I think there's a very good argument to be made that none of them, even the worst Calvin movie that you think they've made, none of them are anywhere close to as bad as Star Trek Nemesis because it's just utterly dank and dark and dry and joyless and, and pointless and gloomy and and you uh,
1: mope out of the theater yeah <laughs> it's
0: it's just awful so that is my not recommendation if you want to, and unless you want to get the the worst Star Trek whiplash you can possibly get where you go from Star Trek 2 to Star Trek Nemesis uh, don't watch Star <laughs> Trek Nemesis that is my not recommendation
1: all right my recommendation as you guys know I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed and it's 1982. And the movie that I'm not going to recommend is not a sci-fi. Well, it's kind of a sci-fi. It's not a sci-fi. It's kind of it's kind of <laughs> like a James Bond movie but hmm. without any tits or fun. And the movie hmm. and it's directed by someone who who doesn't usually direct movies like this. It's a Clint Eastwood movie. Oh. The movie I'm going to tell you guys not to go see is a little movie called Firefox.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Firefox is a movie in which the Russians, those nasty Russians, have developed a superjet. And this superjet can go Mach 6. And this superjet is invisible to radar. And this superjet jet has mind-controlled missiles.
0: That's a lot of stuff.
1: That's a lot of stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And so the Americans go, "We gotta get back. Let's get Clint Eastwood. He's gonna get in there because he's he's a super pilot. He's gonna he'll steal the jet and bring it back to the United States, and then we'll have the, we'll close this weapons gap that we have, right? And the majority of the film, like ninety nine percent of the film, is him sneaking into Germany, <laughs> boringly sneaking into Germany, <laughs> and then getting into Russia, and then he steals the super jet, and then he gets away the end. It's boring, and I hate it. Yay! Clint Eastwood stars and directs in it. I have no idea why he wanted to do it. Maybe just... Okay, so Clint would make movies so that he could make enough money to make the movies that he wants to make. Exactly. And sometimes he would direct movies that he just to make the money so that he could get the, move, the money so that he could make the movies he wants to make, and I have a feeling that that's what this was. Special yeah. effects are dumb. Everything's dumb. It's dumb, and I hate it. <laughs> So, don't see it, Firefox. All right, Steve, now it's time for a terrible choice. Oh, boy. It wasn't going to be until you referenced a movie at the beginning. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. And gave me an awful now idea. I'm,
0: shit, now I'm trying to remember what movie I referenced. I can't You'll remember. figure it
1: out if you make the wrong choice. Oh, boy. A or B, Steve. Oh, a boy. A or B. A or ah. B. Oh, uh, Steve. Oh, I'm going to say A. Oh. So, Steve did not know what A or B meant. No. Now, originally, I had a movie picked out that we were going to review, and thankfully... Steve picked that movie, oh good, because B was going to be Batman and Robin,
0: oh, well, that would have been a fun show too,
1: well, yeah, but that meant we would have to watch Batman and
0: Robin. that would have been not fun. <laughs>
1: But thankfully, he picked A. So the movie that we're going to ask you guys to watch is a movie that we've referenced by a director that we've been scared of bringing up, but we've got to do it at some point. I'm pulling the goddamn trigger on this. (laughs) We've got to do it. We're four years in, and we've not done one of them, and he's one of our favorite directors ever. I've recommended at least three of his films. The next movie that we're going to review, so if you want to get all the jokes... You're going to rush out and watch it. The movie we're going to review next is the absolutely beautiful... I don't know how we're going to react because we're reviewing two good movies in a row.
0: Yeah, we're going to get spoiled is what's going to happen.
1: Deeply influential, The Seven Samurai.
0: Oh, now we're talking. <laughs>
1: So rush out and go find The Seventh Samurai. You might even be able to find it on YouTube at this point. Probably. But if you can't, break out that Criterion Collection. Yeah. like I got. That's right. And you watch that son of a bitch. Come back and you thank us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
1: And that's it for Late Seating. This has been Jason Harding. And go see a movie this week.
0: And this has been Steve Shives. Remember, I'm not a drama critic. Wait, what what? I'm not a drama critic. That's what he says to McCoy on the bridge at the beginning. McCoy says, what'd you think of my performance?
1: Oh, I thought you were telling me that you weren't a drama critic, and I was oh. going to have to fire you. No,
0: I'm not a drama critic. It's. I thought it would be ironic, because I am. Also, you didn't give me a do... reaction,
1: because all McCoy does is lay on the ground and look hurt. <laughs> What did you think of my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Oh, okay. (laughs) I've tried really hard. How many people I've seen die in front of me, Jim? I thought I did a good performance.
0: (laughs) That is bullshit, Jim, because I've watched people die, okay? And that's exactly (laughs) what it's like. We've seen them die screaming. I've seen people die from explosions,
1: and it's just like that. (laughs) All right, fine. All right, fine, you were great. Is that what you wanted, McCoy? Yes, yes, damn it. Here's your fucking Oscar.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I wish I had won this for one of my cowboy movies, but I'll take it.
1: (laughs) How about Night of the Lepus? I was good in that. I was great in that. (laughs) Giant rabbits.
0: (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everybody.
1: Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcasts.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts.